Tahira, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I had a nice sleep, restful, had the fan on, it's getting hot, but yeah, doing well. How are you doing? Love that. I'm doing really good. I did that postpartum visit yesterday, which I usually don't work on weekends or I try not to, but uh, it was actually lovely. And yeah, I have like a packed week ahead of me. So got a client due in a week. So, you know, just uh, taking it easy, trying to get the rest in. Nice. Yeah. I heard that you don't work on weekends and I was like, wow, Simone's got these boundaries. I, yeah. It's amazing. Well, <laughs> and then I was funny. like, should I not work on weekends? Cause it's so hard with birth work. Like what are days and what are weeks? Well, for, for like births, I mean, if they give birth on a weekend, I'm there, but for prenatal and postpartum visits, I try to just not work on weekends. And then it's funny. Cause I actually, I said, I don't work on weekends and then I worked on a weekend, but I also think it like sets that precedent. And then the client feels really like appreciative when you do because they're like oh thank you so much I know you don't work on weekends but you like made this exception for me (laughs) and then it's like it feels it feels more like weekend vibes where they're like oh thanks for doing this I know it's your Sunday and I'm like thanks it is my Sunday (laughs) yeah don't weekends take take your weekends yeah yeah I that's what I struggle with just I'm always on call I've been on call since January with like a few days here and there that I haven't because of like due dates being spread apart but I need to figure this out because I am burning out um so yeah when I heard that you take weekends off I was like wow I didn't even I couldn't even fathom that that's something that you could do yeah I take weekends as a birth worker and I also don't work before 10 a.m or after like six um you know, just, uh, out here trying to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I'm really excited about our conversation today. I, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I've never actually like hosted a podcast episode before. So this is exciting. Have you done it before? I have never made a podcast. I just consume way too much podcast content, (laughs) like probably about like six hours a day um but yeah no this is new for me too so I'm very excited and I feel like we're always just having these conversations anyways where we're just like going off about birth work so I feel like it'll just be that but recorded yeah yeah we have these conversations on the phone all the time and when we're debriefing things and complaining and ranting about the healthcare system and so we may as well have an audience (laughs) that could benefit from it absolutely Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about, um, like, as we get started, just about, like, what is birth work? Like, when we talk about that, what is that? How is that connected to our, like, community work? How is that connected to activism? Um, Totally. So I guess for me, I see birth work as supporting people as they go through um, any reproductive changes or challenges or giving birth or the postpartum uh, transition or, um, you know, prenatally uh, support with menstruation, fertility, all those different things. And I see birth work as a form of care work, um, which ultimately is the work that, you know, keeps the world running, keeps people being healthy and safe and um, 
and supported um, so that they can, you know, birth the next generation and all those good things. Um, and then specifically for me, birth work looks like working as a doula, um, a birth doula and a postpartum doula. Um, yeah, that's, that's birth work to me. How about, how about yourself to Yeah, I think everything that you just said really resonates for me. And as you were, as you were speaking about care work, I, for me, I think birth work marks a bit of a beginning, like every birth feels like a bit of a beginning, um, which for me in the context of our social movements and um, our, even for our like collective liberation just feels like a place of hope. And so supporting people in that major transition in life that also uh, feels like a beginning, uh, I think for me gives me hope to continue to do the work in the world. and also to set that those beginnings off in a good way and just being able to support people um, to like connect to themselves, to their families, like birth work is intergenerational work. It's, it has so much potential for healing. I think in our, in a lot of our circles and rightfully so we talk a lot about the, the violence and harm that birth givers can experience, especially racialized birth givers in our healthcare system. And that's so real. And we see that in our work all the time. But I think that it's also um, a place where a lot of healing can happen and a lot of connection to culture and connection to um, to friends and family members in different ways. And again, through like cultivating these relationships of care. And it's just amazing to see how birth work can birth work and also giving birth itself. Um, when I see my clients do it, I see how it creates this infrastructure of care in our communities where people come together and, and, and wrap people in support. Um, and I think that's what I feel so honored to be a part of in these individuals' lives. And it's also just so inspiring to see that happening around birth. And it makes me think how that can happen around any part of our lives and not just related to birth. So I think that that building of care infrastructure is, is how I see birth work being connected to activism and social movements. And like you said, like the work that keeps us um, surviving and thriving. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was thinking about this just yesterday, actually, because we always say in our childbirth ed classes and like to our clients that, you know, the, the outcome of how people feel about their birth experiences is usually not indicated by how many interventions they had or whether they had a belly birth or a vaginal birth, but, um, it's impacted by how supported they felt during the process. And, it's so wild because I just, you know, I say that, but like, I just see that every single time with like my clients where I'm just like, wow, like maybe that was like what I would describe to be like a bit of a traumatic experience, but they're like, it was great. I just felt so supported, you know, like I, I was offered the, you know, the time to make decisions every step of the way. Um, and I feel like that's also, true for just everything in life where like, I mean, you know, trauma is trauma. Sometimes it's just like messed up, but, but ultimately if people feel supported and like they have agency to make decisions and things like that, um, then they don't have as traumatic an experience. And so I think that's another piece of like, 
the practice of being a doula and the the practice of supporting people and being there to listen and carve out space for them to make decisions that are informed um, is just like a really good habit too for birth workers, but also for everybody because everybody needs that through different stages of their life. Totally. And I think that's what gets me so excited about our, our doula trainings, because a lot of the folks that come to our trainings aren't going to be, you know, career birth workers, or that's not going to be their, their main work or what they're spending most of their time doing, but it just makes me so happy and, and hopeful to know that all these folks that are coming to our training are learning these skills to, to doula um, in all different contexts. And they're going into their families and communities and offering that support through, through major life events and transitions. And that I think is, is so amazing. And that's also part of that capacity building that happens in community. I think, I think everybody should do a doula training. um, And I think everybody should see the impact of those skills, whether they use it in a birthing context or, or not, because essentially it's about that support through, through life. And I think that's, that's, one of the most important things that we can offer each other and to like sustain our communities and sustain our movements. So we've been like talking a little bit about the, um, we've been talking a little bit about things we do at the collective. So maybe we can also talk a little bit about what the Nesting Doula Collective is (laughs) and what we do. Do you want to start us off? (laughs) I can start us off, but I know that you'll say it more eloquently so you can like cap it off. Um, So the Nesting Doula Collective is a grassroots anti-oppressive collective of BIPOC doulas, and we serve and support our BIPOC clients on Lekwungen territory here in Victoria, BC, on the West Coast, um, in colonially known as Canada. Um, And yeah, we're a collective of um, birth doulas, postpartum doulas, fertility doulas, death doulas, um, and yeah, um, maybe you can take it from there to here. That was great. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's anything much to add other than like some of the stuff that we do is offer, of course, um, like frontline support at births, um, and prenatal care and postpartum care, but we also train doulas. So building capacity in black and brown communities to do this work is a huge part of, um, what we do and what we believe in. Um, we're trying to bring birth home and back into our communities and bring the knowledge of supporting birthing people back into our families um, and kinship networks. And that's one of the one of the parts of our work that gets me so excited because we know that the medical industrial complex has appropriated our birthing traditions and appropriated birth itself. And we often talk about how birth is not a medical event, but that it is a ceremony in life um, that sometimes requires medical attention. And so we really are trying to um, bring that message into our communities that have been colonized and displaced um, and, uh, and also, yeah, um, displaced from our own lands and traditions and cultures. And we're trying to restore that knowledge. Um, And I think we do that through our, Uh, doula trainings we also do it through our childbirth education classes 
And one of the coolest things about our collective, I think, is that we do all of this for free. <laughs> um, so we really make this work accessible. Um, and we think that everyone should have access to it and that it should not, there should not be a price put on it. And we're able to do that by remaining grassroots and by depending on mutual aid models of funding, which I think we'll get into later. But yeah, I'll, I just wanted to add that about our collective and, and how we do our work. And, and we do so much more that is hard to put on paper um, because, yeah, like supporting someone around birth also means doing food security work. It means doing work around um, uh, around supporting people around their housing, uh, around it's anti-violence work when we're talking about people and their relationships. And yeah, it just is all encompassing, which again, makes it so powerful. And I know that uh, one of our collective members, Erin Gilpin often talks about birth work being the belly button of community work. And I really believe that that's the case. Totally. Yeah. And I feel like you know, like when I did my first doula training, which was with doula training Canada, um, it was so, I mean, it was, you know, you take the teachings and the important learning pieces from anything that you do, and then you just leave the rest, or at least I try to be like that. Um, but you know, it was really just around kind of the mechanics of birth and how to hands-on support. Um, and, also how to like build a business model around it. And um, it was just such a jarring experience, like starting to do um, birth work, especially with like our communities and with the collective, because so much of it was, you know, way more full spectrum, even if you didn't, I wasn't choosing to necessarily be full spectrum or do full spectrum work. All of a sudden, it's like, well, if your client is you know, housing insecure, they might lose their housing and they need to go, they need to bring their baby like home to somewhere or else they're not going to get to keep that baby. It's like, okay, well, you are going to do those advocacy pieces and, you know, try and figure out the pieces around housing and try and figure out the pieces around nutrition. And, you know, because that impacts their pregnancy and their birth experience. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think when we were working in like BIPOC communities and low-income communities, um, communities that ex are ex experiencing, um, you know, a lot of trauma, you end up having to just do all the things and <laughs> it's not really necessarily a choice sometimes, but it's also an honor to be able to do it. But um, yeah, I think that's something that is unique about our collective is that like, we're not doulas who kind of like pop in and out in terms of like doing just what's within the brackets of like what we would know to be doula work and then leaving because we just actually can't. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I, I love the fact that we are grassroots and we have that mutual aid model. I think like before, I like admire you Tahia because you always have that like big vision of being like, oh, well like people can't afford this. So like, we're just not gonna charge. And it's like, wait, but all the question marks and you're like, oh no, like we'll figure it out, but people need the care. So like, let's get them the care and then we'll figure out the logistical pieces. Um, 
And yeah, and I guess that's how we ended up being like a mutual aid model. Um, and community really shows up and, um, you know, every year we have our fundraisers and I think how much did we raise this year or last year? Was it 30,000? Yeah. We raised $30,000 in like a month. Yeah. Which is like amazing and all coming through like small donations, some larger donations. And, um, you know, in that way, our doulas are able to build the collective through, um, from that pot. And then our clients can pay on a sliding scale from nothing at all, which a lot of them don't pay anything at all to the full amount. Um, but our doulas are getting compensated at like a livable wage, which is, I've never seen anything or heard of anything like that. Um, I'm sure it exists, but I think what we're doing is pretty different. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think that the the fact that we are grassroots and what that for me what that means is that we are from the communities that we're serving and we are accountable to the communities that we're serving because we belong to them Um, and we are supported by the communities that we are serving as well and that cycle um, really is what holds up this work and what makes it sustainable so mutual aid is only possible because we we serve our community and our community is serving each other by donating to our collective so that we can take care of our our community members. And we all benefit from that. And I think that it's been so inspiring to see this collective buy-in to that principle that we can all redistribute our funds and our resources and support this work. Like not everyone is a birth worker. Not everyone's going to be you know, providing pregnancy or postpartum care, but people can, um, people who can't do that may have access to resources, whether that's money or they want to join a meal train or that's, you know, other like donating, you know, brand new baby bottles or supplies or any of those things, gift cards to like Tim Hortons (laughs) um, for those, those days at, um, at the hospital, (laughs) like all the different ways that people show up. It's just incredible to see. And I think people show up because we created an opportunity for them to show up. And that I think goes back to what you were saying around, yeah, there was this need in community, people couldn't afford birth work, specifically racialized communities, they couldn't afford having doula support, because doulas are privately funded, not funded through our healthcare system. And so they were going without that support. And as a result, experiencing harm and isolation and um, all, all sorts of like trauma in the healthcare system without having an advocate or having someone to connect to. And so we just solved that problem by really believing that our community will show up. And we brought that issue to the community um, and had a call to action and people showed up. I think that's one of the first steps is like, if, if folks don't know where the need is, they don't know how to show up. And I think we made it very clear, like, hey, this is the need, this is what we're seeing. And also we were able to do that because we work collectively. Like if I was by myself or Simone, if you were by yourself and out here being like, Hey, can you pay for my bills while I support people's pregnancy and birth? People would be like, who are you? But because we work collectively, there is more accountability there and more trust built in community. And we have individual relationships that we draw upon that we, we bring into the collective. And 
I think that's a, a huge part of like the, like a lesson that we've learned too, that when we work together, we can have a greater impact and we can also build trust with our community um, in deeper ways than when we work individually. One of the things that we had kind of talked about flushing out today was like the differences between grassroots birth work and institutionalized birth work. And I feel like we talk about this all the time because it's such a pull. I feel like both of us have, you know, considered midwifery and going to midwifery school, you know, maybe still on the table, maybe not, but for so many reasons, it's just like not realistic or not feasible. Um, and both of us have kind of like landed on doula work again and again, um, but also work with midwives, work with, you know, OBs, work with doctors. Um, and we, you know, there's, there's, there's some clashes there that we see and we see the differences in the care that's able to be provided. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts around that, Tahia? <laughs> so many thoughts about yeah. this. And we we talk about this as a collective all the time, right? Because we are not a nonprofit or a charity or a business. Like we're not registered as anything. We're just a collective of people. And, um, but like on the surface, um, for outsiders looking in, we look like a very well-polished machine, (laughs) Um, which is, which is great. Um, but I think that also goes to show that you don't have to be some sort of legal entity in order to, you know, be accountable in order to get paid in order to be professional. And I have issues with the word professional as well, because often for me, that just means like being more white. (laughs) Um, but that's a whole other thing, but yeah, like that question of grassroots birth work versus institutionalized birth work, I think can also be asked about a lot of different kinds of work, right? Like what happens when you professionalize care work and what what happens when you, you professionalize um, or institutionalize aspects of our, like our society and community that actually is much more free um, and flexible when we keep it grassroots and autonomous. Uh, so I don't think this question is just relevant for birth work, but for like, especially like I'm thinking of nonprofits, right? Nonprofits that are out here trying to solve a problem, (laughs) um, but are limited by things like, um, reporting to the grants or foundations and, and grants that they apply for, um, having the CRA after them, like the Canada Revenue Agency and charitable status stuff and all this red tape and bureaucracy that just creates all this busy work for nonprofits instead of putting time, resources and energy into the work that needs to be done on the grounds. And I think going back to what you were saying, Simone, about the flexibility that we have as doulas and as autonomous birth workers to show up for people beyond like we don't really have a scope of practice. I know in like doula trainings, they talk about your scope of practice is A, B, and C. And yes, like we don't deliver babies. We don't provide clinical support um, or clinical care. That's what like midwives and doctors are there for. But outside of that, with like the care work piece, there's really no scope or limitation. 
we said it ourselves. So yeah, we can say that I support you and, you know, give you hip squeezes and labor. And also I'll help you fill out your paperwork to get your PR, right? Because that's something that you need or like to get your like healthcare coverage. Um, And I think that's really liberating. And I think institutionalized birth work puts these limitations on what people can do in their practice that really falls short of the care that needs to happen. And of course, there's like, that brings up the question of like boundaries and burnout and <laughs> how do we set those, those things? And I think we are trying to figure that out and it's often trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I will say is like, I think there's a difference between like setting those boundaries for yourself because that's what works best for you versus the boundaries being set by you for, from an institution that is like paying you on like an hourly wage and you clock totally. it work sort of thing. Yeah. Um, because like, I definitely, you know, boundaries are always a trial and error when I'm like working for myself as a doula and I do things that I'm like, ugh, that actually felt like a lot for what I'm being, you know, compensated or for what that person, you know, each individual relationship is different, but like, I just, I do it differently each time. And I know that like, I, I basically like overstepped my own boundaries because I didn't state what my boundary was in that situation versus like, I got hired by like a pregnancy outreach organization, which I work for part-time and they support, um, clients who uh, are either like pregnant or, you know, newly postpartum um, and, or actually I think it's for the first year postpartum, but who also are experiencing multiple barriers like um, substance use or addiction or are in recovery, um, severe mental health, things like that. And um, I notice the differences in between how I interact with clients when I'm like being paid by Island Health versus when I'm being paid by my like you know the collective and our group funds like and it is like I would say like markedly less caring and I hate that and I don't want that to be true but like the reality is when you're working for an organization and you're working for an institution and you clock in at a certain time you clock out at a certain time and you have so many clients, like, and you have so many tasks in a day and your time is limited, which I think is also what a lot of midwives and a lot of doctors experience as well, where they have, like, you can actually only give such a high quality of care when you have seven minutes for a client. Like, it's just no matter how caring, how loving, how, how much you want to show up when you have like six minutes or seven minutes for a client, it's already just not, (laughs) it's just not going to cut it. Yeah. You're like set up to fail. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Because so much of what we talk about in terms of like trauma informed and um, trauma informed care and like anti-oppressive care is like not making people fit all of their like messy lives and all of their shit into like a little box and into like, you know, like a five minute visit where the timer's on and then you're going to run out of the room and go see somebody else. Um, when I'm working as a doula, I carve out like a big amount of time where I'm like, we'll, we'll just talk until this person's done. And like, I'll probably cap it at an hour, 
you know, but like, there's a lot of room in there. Um, and if I have to go over a little bit, I have to go over a little bit and it just is what it is. And there's more flexibility. Whereas when I'm working with this organization and I have a whole lot of tasks in a day and I have to drive around and bring somebody to their ultrasound and then, you know, do this and do that. I, I'm more rushed. I don't show up with as much care. And, um, I think, you know, in a lot of ways I'm doing pretty similar work to doula work. Um, but yeah, it's just like the limitations of being like, well, I'm being paid X amount of dollars this hour for this specific task. And, you know, I'm being paid by Island health. So like I'm accountable to Island health and, you know, I don't have a relation, like, I don't really care who Island health is. Like, I don't know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Whereas when I'm being paid through the collective, I'm like, oh, I literally know the faces of the people who donated this money for me to be doing this work, to be caring for this person right now. Like I can literally pass those people in the street and know that they paid for this hour of care. And so I'm really, really going to be intentional and show up in a really, really good way for this client right now. So I think like who's paying your bills matters. And like, you know, we're all just doing our best under capitalism. And like, that's why I have this other job as well. But I think it does impact how we, how we act and how we show up for care. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, I'm sure that's so such a trip to like do doula work on on one side and then also do like waged hourly work for a nonprofit organization um and doing such similar care work but under such different um I guess yeah such a different scope and different expectations because also it's not just like your own choice to around how much you're being compensated and whether that compensation is is actually compensates you for the kind of care you want to give it's also your the culture of the workplace that that makes a huge difference right so if you're I don't know what your the culture of your workplace is but if it's a place where yeah you're given a list of things to do and complete or a list of people to see and you're expected to finish that list like you're accountable to your employer and that like list not to the people that you're actually seeing and providing care for right and so in doing the kind of work that we do, our clients in our, like the clients of our collective, actually, they also self-determine what their needs are and what kind of care they need. And they do that without, so like we also work for them and we're not working for an employer that's saying like, you you have to finish these things in this day. Um, so that's, I think that also like gives people autonomy in, and, and gives people autonomy in their own care um and in their own um yeah like it it promotes health autonomy in our communities yeah and I'll also say and I mean I'll just say a disclaimer that I love everybody that I work with and I think this organization is great but I also think that like it is in some ways coercive when like people are involved in institutions where they actually like need support around housing or they need support around you know that meal or those bus tickets that they get delivered every week. Um, like it is a voluntary program and you can choose to be involved with that program, but 
what options do you have when like you're hungry and they're like, Hey, there's this organization that's going to like drop off meals once a week. Like, is that like choice? Like, yeah, yeah. That's amazing, <laughs> but like, um, you know, when your options are so few, like it's like, we can question that whole aspect of voluntary. Right. Whereas, um, when I'm working as a doula, like, and I'm self-employed, one of the things that I love the most is that my clients choose to work with me and it's like, they don't, I'm offering care, but I'm not doing a ton of other pieces around like, you know, uh, bringing like bus tickets and like all these different things. Like there's no guarantees with any of that. It's not like you get X amount of things when you sign up to work with Simone. It's just like, you know, there's this kind of like relationship of care where like I might show up with a meal or different things like that. Whereas, um, you know, with this program, it's kind of like, well, I don't know, people are choosing to be involved, but it's kind of coercive in the nature that like people need things. (laughs) And so they will take what they can get. Um, And I know that, and that impacts our relationship and my relationship working with them as well. Yeah, and that's the, like the paternalism that comes from nonprofits that provide um, like frontline services, right? This like, we're going to come and save you or give you what you need. And as a result, we're going to create all this employment for our staff and, you know, keep this machine going. Um, and I think every nonprofit's goal or mission should be to work themselves out of a job right? And out of work, like if they should be like resolving the issue, but also like I also like our our government and our state should be taking care of us. And that's instead of like giving, handing off that responsibility downstream to nonprofit organizations that are under-resourced and and burning out. And yeah, like I, I just feel that the way that we do our work, we get to avoid all of that, um, all of that stuff that holds us back and actually doing the work that we need to do and that our community needs us to do. And I think that feels very liberating and that feels, and this model of work, it's the first time, I don't know about you, Simone, but it's the first time that I've done work in this way outside of like the charitable model or outside of this like dependency model. Um, And it just, it feels it feels like a liberatory pathway. And I, I really hope that more of this gets done even outside of the context of birth, but we need care all around. And I, yeah, I hope that other folks can see that like, you know, when, when, when there are groups of people coming together and they're like, this is a great project. I hope that like the next thought isn't let's register as a nonprofit so we can get funding and have staff and all of that. Like, I hope that the thought is like, how do we maintain our autonomy? Because when we are doing the work and our, and we maintain our, our autonomy, we also do it on behalf of our community so that our community that we serve can also maintain their autonomy from these systems. And so when we, uh, as care workers, um, start to institutionalize, we are then bringing the communities that we are wanting to serve and that we belong to into these institutions too. Absolutely. I wonder how, given the fact that a lot of 
the folks listening in are probably not doulas or birth workers. I'm curious about your thoughts on, yeah, some of the things that we've been talking about and how it might relate to other community work and like social movement work or grassroots work, like what, because I know like both of us also do other things in our lives and we are are passionate about other issues and we see we see like I think we live like very intersectional lives ourselves and we see like the complexities of all these issues connecting so like even things like you know birth justice and climate justice and how those two things are are so connected or migrant justice anti-racism work um you know anti-colonialism and decolonization work so I think a lot of our our listeners are probably doing some of that other work and I'm I'm curious about how you connect some of what we're talking about to to that work. Yeah, I think like, you know, it's so valid that like we go to like organizations and like granting institutions um for support. Like I think like it makes total sense and like we've gotten grants and like I've gotten grants personally and they can be incredibly helpful but I do think that like trying to think outside of that and not always rely on that model where we're like waiting on the grant to come in or you know we we can only do this if like we incorporate or we become like a company or something like that. Um there are options outside of that no matter what you're doing. And I think just like knowing that there are other options to fund your work can be really liberatory. So I think like people can take the model that we're using and, you know, apply it to whatever they're doing, because as we've seen, like community continues to show up for the work that we're doing. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same for, you know, whatever initiatives people are up to um, in terms of just like, yeah, funding the revolution. Some of it is around funding, of course, and some of it is around legitimacy. And we have been taught that we gain legitimacy through, yeah, incorporating, through becoming some sort of entity. Like, I've had so many conversations with other nonprofits or other institutions where they're just like, we don't get it. Like, your work would, you, it would just be so much easier if you guys just became a nonprofit. Um, or we could collaborate with you if you became a nonprofit. Like we can't just collaborate with like random groups of people. <laughs> and I think for me at least, and I, and I hope that other folks are thinking about this too, that like our priority is to build legitimacy with our community and not with the state and not with institutions. Because though the state and and I'm just going to call it the state because these institutions are just arms of the of the state, right? Um, in different ways, and the state is not going to um, show like they're not going to they're going to undermine us where wherever they can, right? Because that's in their best interest, um, and that's how they remain legitimate. And we actually offer our uh, like offer them legitimacy by going to the state um, for for our legitimacy like that's actually what we're doing right we're legitimizing the settler colonial state um and all the ways that it has like reached into our communities and appropriated our struggles and um and that continues to happen and so for me i think what's what the priority is is to build legitimacy with our community and with our community members that we serve and we do that by building authentic relationships living in integrity in our communities and and really blurring that 
that like, yes, we can set boundaries around like work-life balance, but also acknowledging that if we're really doing the work in the world, the, the boundaries of our lives and our work is really blurred. And actually accepting that with, with integrity, I think is really important. That like our friendships and our relationships and our families are all a part of this. Um, and that they cannot be disconnected, like they can't be disconnected. And I think that's what professionalizing care work does. And professionalizing our work that like our activism work does is that it draws these arbitrary boundaries that actually aren't real. And we try to hold these boundaries and we really mess up along the way and we cause harm in attempt in attempting to do that. So like, let's remove that and actually actually see our lives and our work as interconnected and dependent um, and then do our work with integrity from there and relate to each other with integrity from there absolutely no you said it so well and I I really agree with that one thing I'm thinking about as well is like the whole thing about legitimacy it's also like a false illusion because it's like what do we mean by legitimacy it we mean like oh there's more safeguards in in case like somebody's mismanaging money and there's more like safeguards if like somebody's messing up and there's like processes for accountability but it's like those things happen all the time anyways in nonprofits like people yeah. manage money and like there's like harm caused and like relationships get weird and all the things happen um, but there's like this illusion of legitimacy because it's like, oh, well, we have a process to deal with that. And we have like, you know, we have like Robert's rules or we have whatever. Um, but it's like Robert's rules is not going to save us. Like, you know what I mean? Like things happen anyways. And so, um, yeah, I just want to say that piece around like legitimacy. It's like, it's kind of an illusion of legitimacy, but like people really cling to it because it's something and it's, it's been, it's been used time and time again and people are used to it, but, um, you know, we have our own processes of dealing with all those different things, like within our communities, within our families, our friendships and within our collective as well. And I think like we, we do it really well. Um, so it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, it is possible. I think that's it. Like, I think as we wrap it up, I, I, I talk about this a lot and have, I think I mentioned this even before we got started today about our imagination. I think exercising our imaginations and really dreaming of liberation is one of the, one of the things that we need to be doing individually and collectively and really breaking free of what we know to be um, the status quo and all the ways that we've accepted that and how we do our work. Um, is is as important as like undoing all the internalized ways we've we've you know internalized um, racism and sexism and patriarchy and and all of those things. Like we also have internalized ways of doing our work in the world and normalize that as just how things are and how they need to be. And we really need to be able to imagine different ways of doing it and. And our imaginations are broadened when we do that together. And I, I hope that people doing their work in their, you know, shared community can start to imagine these different, different models and different ways of sustaining the work and living and, and thriving. And, and yeah, and it's hard too, but, but knowing that we, we have each other's backs, I think is, is so important. 
Absolutely. Well said. I think that's a great note to end on for our first podcast episode. Yeah. Thanks, Simone. Thank you.